Welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. This podcast is a series of conversations with educators, leaders, and lifelong learners with the hope of deconstructing some of the stereotypes around education. My objective as a teacher is to focus on the passion, humanity, and hope around education and to provide a platform for the myriad of voices that have something to say and teach us all. If you would like to know more about me, please head to my Instagram page at educatinglaura. Thank you for deciding to join in today. This episode is being released on the 25th of April, which is Anzac Day here in Australia. So if you listened to last episode, I was talking about how excited I was about going to Queensland for the first week of the holidays. Unfortunately for us, our daughter tested positive for COVID on the Saturday. We were supposed to leave on Sunday. And so by Monday, I'm pretty sure we all had COVID. So the first week of holidays was stuck inside. But, you know, that's the world that we live in at the moment. So anyway, that has been and come for us now. Um, And hopefully we stay safe from that for months. Let's hope. Anyway, I have a really exciting episode for you. So again, keeping with the theme of educators outside a conventional classroom, Mel from Little Bird Flies Hypnobirthing is here to talk everything, calm birthing, hypnobirthing, empowering women in labor and in the birth process and trying to take away some of the stigma and shame around our bodies, especially as we're developing and moving into potential motherhood. I know you'll get a lot out of this one. If you are somebody who is scared about birth. I think this is a really, really great conversation because this is a physiological process that we are designed for. And yes, there is a medical aspect to birth, but it doesn't always have to be completely medicalized. And I think having an understanding of options available to you, if you are going down that route in your life is always good. It's always good to be completely informed about what's available to you. So I don't want to say too much more because we talk a fair bit in this conversation about what calm birthing is and how you can be supported both medically and also in a way that empowers you. If, as I said, birth is something that you see in your future, whether you are the birthing partner or the support partner. So calm birthing is for both. If you enjoy this episode, please rate and review it. Please follow along on Apple, Spotify and all the other podcast platforms that you get this podcast on. Share anything that you like about this episode on social media. Tag me at Educating Laura and Mel at Little Bird Flies Hypnobirthing. Please have a look in the show notes because Mel has sent me an exhaustive list of great literature to support you in your birth journey. And I'll see you in two weeks. Hi Mel, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Laura? Really, really good. I'm going to start with a very basic question, which is how and what do you teach? Easy. I, um, I'm a childbirth educator. I'm also a registered, registered nurse midwife, but I am a certified practitioner in hypnobirthing. So I am I teach Hypnobirthing Australia's Positive Birth course to mums and their partners all around Melbourne and branching off throughout Australia at the moment as well. So that is my biggest passion, childbirth education, and just sort of really changing the way that we view birth 
in our society and bringing it back to basics and allowing women to have this positive and empowering birth experience that so many women are not not getting well let me ask you the question i did hypnobirthing prior to having my two children i did the course before having my daughter and then i actually did a refresher before having my son and it was a really interesting experience because even though i knew all of the content I was induced with my daughter, which meant that I hadn't had the experience of going into labor naturally. And there were some blocks for me that I had to work through to identify what it was about going into labor naturally that was feeling uncomfortable for me or, you know, creating some anxiety and things like that. And so I've had, as I said, two experiences, one about learning it all and secondly about working through blocks. So you said before about the fact that many women don't have that positive birth experience. So what do you think in your experience and understanding gets in the way of that positive birth experience for many women, which I think is unfortunately the majority oftentimes. Yeah. I think it's like peeling an onion back when it comes to understanding birth and how the fear and the trauma occurs. I do specialise in working with mums who have had previous birth trauma and we know and the studies show that 80% of birth trauma is actually the emotional and mental trauma, not actually the physical trauma. Yeah, absolutely, physical trauma is traumatic, but 80% of the time, and I would say in about 90% in the women anecdotally that I work with, I will walk them back through their births. And, yeah, they may have had excessive bleeding, but you keep walking them back and it generally comes back to the time where they were disempowered. And it generally occurs very early on. And I think trauma occurs from being in a system that is quite good at slowly taking away the power of women, not on purpose, but just the way we've been indoctrinated into a system where we think, oh, I'm pregnant, I'll just do what someone else tells me to do because they know best. We then had the layer of we are literally growing up from the day we're born to hear negative stories around birth. I think as a society, we're very good at wallowing in the negatives and sharing the negatives. And if we feel pain, we'll definitely let you know about it. Mm. And unfortunately, we don't get to bask in the positives. So we have an overwhelming number of like stories that we are dosed in from childhood and then we follow media social media, TV shows. I mean, if you asked me at the age of 18 about birth, I'd be like, absolutely no. I didn't mean to study midwifery. Right, you didn't mean to. (laughs) I fell into it. Okay, explain that. I feel like that's (laughs) an odd thing to fall into. Uh, It is. (laughs) I was going to study, I couldn't decide. I was very athletic. I was thinking like osteo or physio or maybe medicine yeah. couldn't decide went to an open day at the university and I was like nursing's a good base and then I can work out where I want to go from there my yeah. mum turned around she's like there's a double degree do the midwifery as well and I looked at her dead panda and I was like that is absolutely disgusting <laughs> I was like no why would I want to do that all day why would... my theory was like do you remember the sims computer game yeah, of course. Yeah, so like the way they have babies is like spin around three times and you choose their name. Like that was my plan. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh. Feels realistic. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> and I was like, only 20 people get in the course. I'll put it on the list anyway. 
and got in and I was like okay we're doing this yeah I just remember my first week in mid and I was like oh, I think this is where I'm meant to be this how funny is yeah amazing and yeah how did we get on to how did I come into mid what was I talking about we we're talking about trauma yeah and the layers of it so absolutely I mean me as an 18 year old <laughs> if I had not gone into mid I'd still be absolutely fearing birth out of my wazoo yeah. Like all my friends, yep. they're like, they hear me talk about birth and they're still like, I don't know, can you like just stop talking, please? Yeah. I think in a way, like we were talking prior, the reason I got onto you is because my sister recommended I, I reach out to you, who's a midwife, who is to me like just one of the most passionate midwives. And because she finds it so incredible, I was always intrigued by birth. I think I was curious about it. And I remember being my first year of teaching and the woman next to me was pregnant and I remember asking her I was like 22 I was like are you petrified and she goes you know what I'm just looking forward to the physical challenge of it and I was like what what do you mean and she was just really calm she was really looking forward to it she's like you know what? I just want to see what my body can do and there, there were moments like that along the way that just made me much more curious and when I did hypnobirthing I remember being in with another couple and she had heard from everybody in her family how horrific birth was. And she said, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to have a good birth. I'm sick of everyone telling me it's going to be hard. It's going to be awful. It's, you know, it's a day you want to forget. And that's the reason she chose it too. But I think a lot of people don't realize that there's an option to empower yourself prior to birth that's not completely medical. Yeah. Like people just have no idea. Sometimes they're like they've never heard of hypnobirthing or that there are options within our healthcare system and they can choose. They don't know that they actually have choices and they can be the key decision makers. And it's just, it's, I just am so baffled every single day that we don't know. We don't share this and it's still a taboo subject, birth. So what is hypnobirthing people that don't know what it is? It's frustrating that there's a lot of neg- negative connotations around hypnosis and I think people hear hypnobirthing and they like the first thing they probably think of is like that guy walking on the stage clucking like a chicken. Sure. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it's quite hippy-dippy. But actually hypnobirthing is about creating a safe space to empower women and really instill the confidence in them and the trust in their bodies that they can actually do this. They're born to do this. Mm-hmm. If we can get our mind to get with our bodies, then we're going to be able to labor with greater ease. So it's about creating that real positive and empowering birth experience. And that looks differently for every single woman and partner that I work for. I work with women who want to have an epidural, who want to go completely pharmaceutical, drug free birth, and that's totally fine. But it's about having that positive and empowering experience, which you can have with both. So it's called hypnobirthing because we use self-hypnosis, which is really just another form of meditation. Yeah. Meditation is just much more accepted in our society rather than hypnosis. And self-hypnosis or meditation allows us to drop into our subconscious. Our subconscious, if we can drop into our subconscious, we can rewire our neural pathways so much quicker than doing it consciously. So we want to rewire our neural pathways around birth because we've had, for me, I've had 30 odd years of negative birth stories, okay? And I have a lot of women come in to learn at birth class and I ask them, I'm like, consciously, do you have any fears around birth? And they're like, nope, all good. Problem is our subconscious takes in absolutely everything. 
Mm. So I can walk into a room and within like seconds, my subconscious knows everything that's going on. And our conscious may not be able to recall all of it, but it'll store it. And if you get triggered, so if you go into labor and you start having surges or contractions, something might pop up in your subconscious. And if you haven't created neural pathways that are really positive and empowering around birth that are going to be at the forefront of your mind, those negative ones are going to seep through. If we have negative thought processes moving through our body, we have that fight-flight response kick in. Fight-flight response means the hormones that are responsible for labour are going to be like, yeah, cool, see you later. Mm. And your cervix is just going to snap tight and taut. Yeah. Okay, and we want our cervix to be relaxed so it can soften and shorten and dilate as it should in labour. So... That is where hypnosis comes involved. We can rewire and we condition these neural pathways so that we can condition certain hormones to flow at certain times throughout labour. We can condition neural pathways so that positive stories are filling our mind and our body when we're in labour and leading up to labour. A big thing about it I remember is the language. Like you just said it before, the surges. Like we hear the word contraction. I mean, contraction already comes with a negative connotation just in the English language right and so you're trying to utilize language that doesn't have those connotations that we subconsciously might be creating for ourselves I remember a story when I did my hypnobirthing course about a woman who is it called failure failure to progress is that what it's called where you stall where label stalls so So often we failed language failure to progress like in the middle of labor how awful but I remember her talking about this story about a woman being in hospital and she just looked and they were wheeling in like all of the medical things like the stethoscopes and the and she looked at it and had a negative connotation around that assuming that there was some kind of intervention that was going to happen and her whole labor stopped you know and so I was thinking I'm glad that I'd heard about these things that are that are normal things to, to happen when you're getting closer to the pointy end of labour without letting my brain sort of take me into a place that wasn't logical Yeah, because there was fear there, you know. And I'm sure that's that's just one example of, of something that happens in labour that people just aren't aware is going to happen and there's fear Absolutely. associated. And, yeah. I mean, and it doesn't even necessarily – you can be incredibly lucky and actually just have – really positive neural pathways around birth your entire life. But when you go into labour, you're in the most vulnerable state that you'll ever be in. And it's raw and it's primal and it's the most sacred sort of path that you'll ever take. And if someone walks into the room, and I often like compare, I'm like, we want to bring birth back to the basics to our ancestors where we're labouring away in a cave. Okay, we're supported. We've got mood lighting where around a fire we trust our bodies and we're allowing our labor to progress instinctively then a saber-toothed tiger enters the cave and your body's like yeah no thanks and you're going to hit the defense system so you go fight flight and the blood is directed to your heart lungs and your legs to just run as fast as you can the issue is we don't have any problems with tigers today but anyone who's going to enter doctors could be a midwife anyone who you don't know and you just hear that door open your body's going to go I'm in danger someone is coming in and I'm super vulnerable right now Mm. so it's about giving mums and their partners the tools they're probably going to drop in and out of this fear tension pain cycle is what we call it it's the same acronym for failure to progress 
FTP. And we know that when we have fear, we create this tension in our body. So if we hear contraction most, a lot of women will just bring up their shoulders and there's tension in the body. Think pain. Yeah, we think pain. I catch myself sometimes when I'm witnessing and guiding a baby into the world that my legs are like crossed as I'm doing it. And I have no qualms around birth, but my subconscious clearly does still at times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) um so you get the tension then you get more pain and then you're like oh well this is really scary so then you get more fear and you just get stuck in this cycle and it's going to be it's going to be really hard to not drop in and out of that cycle I mean we have 30 years however however old you are you've got of birth and fear to fear to sort of work through so having the tools and your partner there to support you to be able to bring you in and out when things like a door opening and someone walking in that you have no idea who they are or having things brought up like interventions being brought up or a different pathway that your birth may be taking at that time your partner can support you and you can work on the tools that you know so that you can stay out of that fear tension and that fight flight response i think too that's something i wanted to bring up because i feel like without that course my husband would have been ultimately useless to me. <laughs> it sounds awful, but it's true. Like without him understanding what was going on with me, having those conversations, understanding what my goals were, and I wasn't one outcome. Ultimately, I wanted a healthy baby and how we were going to get there was was my goal. But knowing the few things that were really important to me and being my advocate was really big. And I think it'd be really nice for you to talk about how you can support partners during the birth experience because I think there's so much focus on the woman that's birthing that this course actually is really, really supportive for the support person, whoever that is. I reckon more than 50% of what I teach is about gearing up the partners and it's so important. And I believe that you actually, you've got your midwife and the doctor's there if you need them, but they're there. You actually really just need your birth partner, whoever you choose to be. They're there to support you. They're going to give everything you need. And if, you need extra support, the midwife and a doctor are there. I've taught a lot of my sister's friends' husbands lately. So I, I really <laughs> talked to them. I'm like, I was talking to one the other day and I was like, so did Alex and Bonnie, did Alex talk to you? And he's like, he did not shut up about your course. And I was like, I have to do this. He's like begging all of his mates to do it now. And I was like, it's not like you go to the pub and chat about how you're going to support your partners in, in birth. It's not discussed either. No, yeah. And that's probably one of the biggest things coming out of a course is just particularly when you have a male or your birth partner, they're just feeling a lot more calm and confident yeah. about, oh, I can actually do something. I can actually really support my wife or my partner and not yeah. just fluff around. Yeah, which is ultimately I think what you would do if you didn't have that course. Like I really, I really felt as though for Tom, who's my partner, he just had a really active role in the room that he wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, and a lot of them will say that they don't have the confidence and they have no idea what to expect and they freak out because their partner's freaking out. And so they're like, they handball it over to the doctor or the midwife, even if the their partner was like, no, 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 I just, I wanted you. Yeah. And so a lot of the course is actually having that understanding and the knowledge first. Then we go into the tools. So they're understanding why they're using the tools and they're understanding how the body works so that, and they understand all the different stages. So if their partner does start to become really agitated or a little bit out of their mind, like we quite often do in transition, that stage 
seven to 10 centimeters of tie lading, they're not going to freak out and just handball it over and then disempower the mum. They're going to be able to maintain mum's power and their power and advocate, which is so important. It's so funny because my mum talks about that. I remember before having my kids, she said, I just remember this moment that I wanted to jump out the window. Like I just wanted to leave and stop. And I was like, mum, that sounds so bizarre. But she didn't have the language for that. She didn't understand what was going on. And I had I had two different transition experiences. One, I was I was induced obviously my first time. And I remember just lying there being like, can we please just stop this? I just want to go and have a coffee. want to have a coffee. And then I will come back and I'll keep going. And I remember Tom being like, Laura, it doesn't work like that. You can't just stop, <laughs> stop labour. But I, I really remember being in that moment being like, I just need to stop. And yeah, and you coffee. convince yourself that that's yeah. possible. Yeah. yeah, I could just stop this. Like, just, just figure it out. Stop it. Um, and my second birth experience, I was in the car during transition. So I was just like, <laughs> oh, well, no. not much I can do here. <laughs> I was in the car on the way to hospital. But even knowing, knowing that that's a, once you're in that place, it's like this, the surges, you know, which we, which we talk about, which is the contractions. I had my breathing. So I knew that by my second big breath, that was the top of my contraction. And then I just had one more breath to go and I was done. So all I had to do each contraction was three big breaths and I could do that. It's like, you know, whenever you do something in the gym, like if you just do one more. I can do anything for one minute. Exactly. I can do anything for three big breaths. I could do anything. And it was that tool, that technique that takes the longevity out of it. All I have to do is one more when it comes, you know, and knowing that transition, well, if I feel those feelings of wanting desperately to escape, I'm nearly there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I probably have majority of women like packing their bags, trying to leave a birthright. (laughs) <laughs> when they're in transition i was actually yeah. reading someone's story the other day and they're like i literally climbed an imaginary ladder to pull myself out of labor yeah. i just standing and climbing yeah it's such a strange but as i said it's just something that people don't talk about those things they talk about pain and they talk about tearing and they talk about you know emergency c-sections and all these medicalized things but they don't talk about that very odd thing that everybody goes through yeah, it's kind of transition. Funny. And I think the biggest way to work through transition uh, is letting, um, if she has done a thorough childbirth education class and she knows what transition is, is letting her know that she's in transition. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you're in transition right now. Let's try this. Let's do this. Let's do a big change up rather than the little techniques that we've been doing and just take it one step at a time. And that's generally going to be the way because it's such a mental game when you hit that transition stage. If you could redo some of your own high school experience, what kinds of things would you wish were being taught in the curriculum? Considering you are so passionate about this now and something that you literally had no idea existed at 18 when you left school, how would you change up your own high school experience, do you think? Oh, so many ways. I think I think it moulds into the question you asked before about trauma and where it starts. I think a lot of it stems from how we perceive our bodies as young girls and when we enter menstruation. And we're literally taught from a young age that, like, your periods are gross. Hmm. Put a tampon up there, put a pad on and don't talk about it. And they're gross and, you know what, don't have sex because you're going to end up with a baby. So we're literally taught everything about our bodies is really bad. And shameful, yeah. And shameful. And I think... 
I would love to be able to work with young girls. And I mean, it's taken me up until like the past few years to actually be like, hey, I'm on my period. This is amazing. My body's working. Like Mm. my hormones are all in sync and my period is not gross. It's like cutting my finger. It's the same blood. Mm. And how can we trust our bodies to birth a baby if we don't even like our bodies, don't even like the way we menstruate and what our hormones do and how we create life. And then we're taught that sex is really bad, so we avoid it. And then that's a whole other ball game to work with. And then we're told that sex ends up in a baby, with a baby, and you don't want a baby. Mm, (laughs) And that's how we're beginning our journey into motherhood. And I think I'm hearing from friends who are teachers that health and human development and sex education is beginning to change yeah within high schools and i'm thinking primary schools are starting to bring in a program well there's a lot of consent conversations and things like that like uh, you know <laughs> safety and but i and i also think there's appropriate language you know not shameful language around bodies and body parts and things like that i think that's where it sort of starts in the primary shame school right? that we have yeah i have not met a girl who does not have an inkling of shame around her body and our feminine side and our femininity and it's really really sad and it's not until the past few years that I've worked out that this is a really big part of evolving and moving into a space of like confidence and self-worth is also just sort of stepping into your femininity it's okay to be in that feminine side and not constantly being in that masculine to to reject our feminine side and what amazing things we can do I think also moving out of the space of there's only one way to move through life and I'm definitely not a linear thinker I Mm -hmm. see absolutely every single pathway to any situation that I'm in and I think that was really dulled down as a child Mm -hmm. put in a box keep your emotions in and just keep high achieving and then you move into an all-girls high school and then you're just you're literally on the conveyor belt of moving into that achieve get really good grades get yep. into that uni course do really well at uni that that really good job and then enter the rat race of nine to yep. five and climb the ladder and our self-worth is directed into that Productivity. Yeah, productivity. And I made a decision two years ago to never use the word busy when someone asks how I am. Yeah. Because busy in our society means successful. And that is so not true. There is so many other forms of being successful rather than just being on that conveyor belt. And we're too busy going for that and not recognising all our other talents and Mm. our abilities and dropping into our bodies and dropping back into our heart centre rather than constantly moving from our mind. Yeah. Do you know what I learned relatively recently in my life is just how hormonally, and I I know that hormonally males and females are different, but the fact that the male hormone peaks in the morning and dissipates throughout the day they go to sleep and it peaks back up the next morning they literally have a 24-hour hormonal cycle they do. Right? which works 
in the world that we live in, you know, in the, dare I say the word, the patriarchy, right? Like, you know, it, it literally is built around the male hormonal cycle, whereas women have a 28-day cycle, which means that every week a different hormone surges, which means we have different things that we're better at, worse at. Some things are easier some weeks, some things are harder some weeks, and yet we're supposed to behave and be as productive as and the male in the 24-hour. It's just wild. It's wild. It means that there are some weeks that we would be better than our male counterparts of particular things, and other times we're just not good at it. And Absolutely. the fact that we haven't we haven't made many adjustments to the fact that females literally are physiologically just different and in the way that we shop in the world is different, not bad, just different. People don't know, like, why did I not learn about this at school? We do not learn about this. I am 30 and I'm just learning about it the past but few years. I, I'm, I went to an all-girls school too. Like, I was the prime demographic. Like, I was in a girls' classroom. Why are we not talking about the effects of hormones per week, per cycle? Like, why is it that we only pay attention to our bodies when we want them to make a baby. Otherwise, it's, as you said, just shh, if you've got your period, deal with it and don't talk about it. Yeah. Why do we only try and, you know, make any sense of it when, when we're trying to actually get our bodies to do the thing we want them to do? Why are we not taking advantage of it always? We always have, well, not always, but we have a cycle for a fair amount of our time. Why are we not trying to, like... I know, and how amazing would it be it? to, like, teach young girls to track their cycles and say, hey... In this part of the month, when you're ovulating, you're going to be this productive. In this part of the month, you're probably going to feel really emotional and it's okay to take a few days off. Just chill and listen to your body and, like, nourish and love on your body really hard Hmm. and become so in tune with your body because you are then becoming way more powerful and way more productive. And you can probably step into your self-worth a hell of Hmm. a lot better when you recognise how incredible your body is. Yeah. And we're just not taught that. What is something that you didn't know you needed until it was created or invented? Period undies. Game changer. Seriously. Seriously. I was actually having this conversation with a friend of mine whose daughter has either just started or was, you know, is in that time frame where she's like, I think it's going to happen soon. I'm like, can you imagine being a 12-year-old girl and just having period undies in your bag, like completely takes every all the stress out of it, doesn't it? Oh, it takes the stress out of my day. I'm like, I'm not forgetting my period today. Just throw some undies in. You're good. Totally fine. Don't have to worry about tampons. They're super toxic anyway. Menstrual cup can be really uncomfortable for a lot of girls. And, I mean, pads are just like a nappy. And environmentally, environmentally, how, how much are you? How much less are you purchasing in terms of that? You know those products. Yes, reusable. They're actually perfect for whatever you're doing and wherever you are in the world. You can use period undies, and they can be washed. You can use them again. You don't have to worry about hygiene. I mean, you want to wash them probably, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Period undies, something that have been invented that I definitely, yeah, could not live without now. It's so funny. I remember reading, I used to love Judy Bloom as a teen and probably preteen. And I remember reading, I think it was called Deanie, I think that's the book. And they talk about, because I didn't realize how old they were at the time. I'm reading them in the 90s. They were talking about the belt, where they used to have to wear a belt. 
Have you heard? Did you know about no. this? Yeah. So the pads, they used to have like, a, they'd wear a belt and they would hook the pad up from one end of the belt to the other end of the belt. Like and I'm like, belt? what is this belt? What are they talking about? And I now think about like the leaps and bounds that we have come, we have come to oh with sanitary God. products for women that, can you imagine me wearing a belt? Oh my and like gosh. unclip. Yeah. And well. I mean, young girls, like girls are getting their periods at like, eight or nine so young so young I mean I have nothing to complain about I was 18 but (laughs) (laughs) my mum was like shove a tampon up there you're good (laughs) you can't say that to an eight-year-old no you definitely no you definitely definitely can't can't. and that's that's probably another conversation to be having around why that is happening like my gosh so young eight so many things to say yeah but period undies they're set so tell me about what situations make you feel the most empowered. Like where do you feel like you're in your most powerful place? When I'm coming from my heart and mm-hmm. stepping out of my brain, just surrendering. And I'm, I think that I've been on a pretty big journey in my 20s. I fell really ill and went through treatment and was told I'd never work again. And so I had to make life work for me. And I never gave up on, I don't like being told no. So I was like, I will work again, but I'll make life work for me. But it also, who at the age of 30 gets to literally start their life again and live from a space of pure joy. Mm. And I never want to jump back into the rat race nine to five ever again. I want to just, I want to do things that serve me and I recognize that I was in, I was teaching a class the other day and I recognize I step out, I'm driving home and I'm literally in this bubble when I'm Mm -hmm. teaching. And I definitely noticed it in COVID. I just forget about the outside world for the eight hours that I'm teaching. And I'm just in my own little bubble of just working with women and their partners and seeing them recognize their capabilities and that they can actually do this just brings me so much joy and I leave knowing that they're gonna be okay like it doesn't matter what system you're in the public or the private as long as they've got the knowledge and the tools and the support behind them they're gonna be okay and that is what brings me that is when I'm in my power and when and it brings me so much joy to be able to do that and just wish I could bring it to more and more more women because I think it's so important yeah Um, do you think the hypnobirthing is the vehicle for you or do you think that there could be another way that you could like come to those same feelings of empowering people? Do you think it could come in another fashion or do you think hypnobirthing is it? That's a really good question and it's something I've really been exploring. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, teaching hypnobirthing Australia is called, it kind of, I've been teaching for like two and a bit years now and it fell in my lap almost I was really lost, still in the midst of treatment and trying to work out. I thought I'd go down a different path and had a lot of people coming to me, a lot of women coming to me to help them heal from chronic illness. And I thought maybe that was the path I wanted to take, but I just kept getting steered back, back into midwifery. And that is my my love and my joy. But the more healing I'm doing and I'm definitely doing the personal development conscious rewiring neural pathways 
emotional healing childhood traumas all those kinds of things that I'm recognizing that I can expand this and really work with young girls and a lot of I think girls in their 20s I think that's a really difficult time girls are trying are recognizing now and I've had a lot of friends come to me recognizing that they don't want to be stuck in this patriarchal nine to five their health is not great they've just been stuck on the conveyor belt as I said and I'd love to be able to run women's circles and I've always said I wanted to create women's circles with the women that I work with who are pregnant but how amazing would it be if we could bring that back and start it with young girls and young women before they even enter their journey to motherhood. So why do you think the age of 20, like 20 age bracket, why do you think that's the age group you'd want to work with? And what is it in that time frame that you think needs the most shift? I think if we could, I mean, if we could start young girls, primary, secondary, now that would be amazing. But I think there's so many girls right now, year 2022 and the next few years that have missed out, will have missed out on that, that work in primary school and high school that, are recognising that there is more to life than climbing the ladder. And our health is really important. I think maybe COVID's made us really rethink. Definitely it took me to be on, like, death's doorstep. Mm. (laughs) Change. I was constantly moving and going and constantly high-achieving and what can I achieve next and where am I going to go from here? And when it all comes down to it, we're on this earth for the shortest amount of time and why are we not enjoying it and bringing joy? And for me, it's so important to have that balance. Mm -hmm. And I'm really lucky that the way I live my life and how I can work bring is my passion. And Mm -hmm. there is joy in every aspect of my life now. And I think everyone deserves that chance because I think most people have this realisation when they're 60 and they're like, what have I been doing my whole life? And then they're like, oh, it's too late to change. So they just keep going. But how cool is it if we can change the perspective of living in this patriarchal society and work for ourselves and work doing what works for us? Are you still doing a supporting women in the childbirth arena, like other than the hypnobirthing? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I got back into work. Oh, good. Yeah. As I said, my sister Steph, who you know, is like that's her favourite place is in birth suite. So we hear all of this negativity around birth. I'd love to hear from your perspective what's the magic in it. What I don't – there's almost no words. Every birth just like (laughs) amazes me and I come out being like that was incredible no matter what and it is my happy place and – I think it's just how incredible are our bodies? Like we literally grew a baby for nine months and then birthed it. <laughs> like, like it's so simple. I have no words to describe. I think yeah. it's the the emotion of seeing and of seeing women in all their power and it's raw and it's vulnerable and it's primal and it's like, yes, women are freaking amazing. How good are we? And how amazing would it be if, like, our children or our daughters could see, could be a part 
of their mother's births of their siblings like how amazing would it be as a young child to see your mum like your one female figure that you admire and will probably always admire in your life going through this incredible journey this birth of a new woman and bringing life into this world and you're seeing how incredible your body is and Mm. I think we just don't recognize how amazing our bodies are until we give birth yeah I don't think at all if I was not a midwife I would still not talk nicely about my body and recognize how incredible it is and yet I get to see that I work two days a week now because I make it work for me and my body but every day I get to work with women and they trust me. Steph always used to say too the beauty of being with people you know 95% of the time on one of the best days of their life. Yeah you know it's a really you know what a privilege. Absolutely it's such a privilege and they thank you after and I'm like I was literally here in awe of you. Like you did it all. Like I'm just here to witness you and your incredible abilities. Yeah, I'm speechless most births. And and it's really, yeah, majority of the time it is a really happy experience. Absolutely. Mm. But I think I make sure myself as a midwife that I offer a space for them to grieve if they're really not happy. I think yep. we need to come out from a space of healthy mum, healthy baby. Cool. That's all we need. We deserve so much more. And you can have in the eye of someone you had a vaginal delivery and you could still be really upset because something happened earlier on and you felt really disempowered or you had a vaginal delivery but you are made to be on your back and you wanted to be in your power standing up but someone told you last minute that you had to get on your back and you can feel violated Mm. and you can feel sadness and you can be angry and I think that's really important as a midwife and I think I... I don't think all midwives have come into that space yet to recognise that because I think we learn woman-centred care from a textbook perspective at university. Mm-hmm. Yep. And not talking badly about midwives at all, like they're incredible humans to be able to do the job that we do. But there is a difference between giving woman-centred care and actually truly walking into a room and recognising that woman's individual needs and wants and desires. Mm-hmm. And then talking to her afterwards and saying, you're amazing, but also are you okay? Was there something that you wanted to let go of and surrender to? Yeah. Well, I'll, again, from my experience, I remember I had trouble feeding my daughter and I remember every shift changed. It was like, you know, every eight hours I would have a new set of rules on the whiteboard that you need to feed every five minutes or you need to do this every (laughs) and you just do the nipple shield and you do this. and And I was so overwhelmed and it must have been the second day which is what like or third day with the baby blues where all your hormones just drop and you just feel like oh my god I could cry every second of the day and this midwife came in I hadn't seen her before and she sat on my bed and she said how are you going and I said I'm just really confused like everybody comes in and keeps giving me these different things to do with the feeding and I don't know I feel like and she just rubbed everything off the board and she threw all the nipple shields and all the bits and pieces in the bin yes 
and goes, what do you want to do? What's important to you? And I'm like, well, I just would like to give this a go. Like I feel like people are trying to tell me to bottle feed and to formula feed and I, I would like to give this a go. And she's like, okay, let's give this a go. And she sat with me for an hour Amazing. and we chatted and we tried and we stopped and you know in the end I got her on we were feeding it was fine but she actually just sat on the bed with me and said what is going on how are you going and I hadn't had that for three days and I said not not to you know be disrespectful to the midwives they would do it and I didn't even know what to say as a new mum you don't really know what to do they sort of come in and they take charge and you're like okay yep okay this is what we're doing it just took somebody to sit down with me and be completely disarming and go, how are you? Yes. And I could have that conversation rather than, okay, we're feeding now, let's do this and let's get this moving, which I think, you know, for some people that's great. But at that moment I was like, I'm just confused. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And that honest conversation was super helpful and her just throwing everything out and going, okay, none of this has worked so far. Let's start from scratch. Yeah. Listening. and yeah. learning and watching. I just walk into a room and if a woman's having to, I just sit and I watch and I chat to mum and I won't change the way she feeds or do anything for quite a while. I'm just looking and watching and understanding what she wants. And that's really important. And it's not, I think all midwives, ideally that's what they'd love to be able to do. But unfortunately we're in a system where we are mm-hmm. overrun. And if you're in the public system, women are in and out after birth within anywhere between six hours to 48 hours later. I know that's wild to me. Your milk that's hasn't even I've been there for five days. <laughs> How, and my mum's like, I was there for like 10 days, Laura. How are people in for 24 hours, you know? And I remember, again, my first birthday said to me, would you like to leave early? I was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Please let me stay another day. <laughs> Let me go. Yeah, there are pros and cons to every system. And yeah. I'm learning that. I grew up in the public system as a midwife. And you're always taught, oh, I never go into the private system. You lose all your power yeah. as a midwife and all that. And I work with both um, with mums in both the public, private, and home birth ways. And when I got back into working after being unwell and moving through treatment, I I'm on call, so I work with an agency, and so I pick up in public and private, and I'm recognising there are incredible pros to a private system, just as much as there's incredible pros to a public system. As long as you understand the system as a woman moving into it and you can advocate for yourself, you're going to be okay. But also how great is a five-day stay in a private hospital (laughs) so we can do the breastfeeding? Yeah, that's what and I that's feel the, in my heart. Breastfeeding, you can't do that in one day. Home in public, it. I, I just almost cry every time I'm sending a woman home because I'm just. I feel like we're setting women up to fail, and it's not okay. And we deserve better, and they deserve better. And it, yeah, it's true though. Every midwife has their own thing and the way they teach and all their little tips and tricks. And it's kind of I always say to women, I'm like. I'm going to give you a whole lot of tips here. You might not like any of them. That's fine. Throw them in the bin after because you might have had a midwife before that worked for you. But take on all the information, write it all down, use what you want, and then just let go of the rest and that's totally okay. But the number one thing is listen to your body. Yeah, and that's I think too we need, even in the education system, we need to empower people 
in the fact that they actually do know things. Yeah. You know, there's not like if you walk into a classroom, the teacher doesn't know everything. The teacher has an idea of things and a structure, but you can bring your life experience in it. It can be just as valid as the thing that I learned at university in, in many cases. Your interpretation and your value system is worth hearing. And I think I see that a lot in the medical system too. Like we need to empower the patient. We need to empower the mother. We need to empower people to ask the right questions and and do their research and feel as though they have a seat at the table. Yeah, we're taught not to ask questions of those above us. And to make an informed decision, you need all the information. Going through the medical system myself, I definitely would say that I can see, I think I'm so passionate about changing out the maternity system because I see the similarities in the chronic illness world that we live in in Australia and the maternity system, they're quite similar and the importance of advocating for yourself. So if you don't advocate for yourself, you will take pathways that are not what you are probably wanting. Okay. I'm so, I'm very much all about advocating and making sure you're getting all the information and asking a second opinion and doing your own research I think it's super healthy to do your own research. There is research and there's research. There's Dr. Google and then there's proper research. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you, what's your recommendation then if people want to do their own like medical research or, or find information that is supporting them, advocating for themselves? Like how do you do that in a way that isn't just Dr. Google? Like what's a better pathway? Yeah, it's really tricky. I mean, Google is probably going to be the first place that we all go to, which is great. So if you find something on Google, amazing, but then maybe check it out and someone else or bring it to someone and ask them what their thoughts are on this. But Mm. getting several opinions is totally okay. There are some really incredible websites out there now, particularly around birth and even social media and gaining your information from People like me and my colleagues who run social media accounts and information and just providing knowledge on birth and postpartum Mm. and pregnancy, they're pretty reputable. Evidence-based birth is an amazing resource. It collates all the studies done on perineal tears, epidurals, induction of labours, all those kind of things, the GBS Um, swabs that we do at 36 weeks in pregnancy they collate all the studies and put it in words that make sense and are really easy to understand and you can make a decision around your birth plan or the birth preferences from reading those collated studies um there's some incredible books out there now i really love sarah buckley gentle birth gentle mothering um dr rachel reed she's an incredible resource ina gaskin there's so many I might get you to send me this and I'll put it in the show notes so people can look into all of those things. That would be good. I think it's really important that you put an emphasis on educating yourself through pregnancy and understanding labour and birth. And, yeah, childbirth education classes can be on the the more expensive end and you may not be expecting to spend that much on childbirth education. But if we put into the perspective and the whole scheme of things of having a baby and we spend $2,000 on a pram, let's spend $500 on a class that is what I love about Hypnobirthing Australia's class and the positive birth program that I teach is that 
I'm giving you skills that you can utilize into postpartum and the meditations that you use. And I have a background of neural pathway and neural rewiring and a whole lot of meditations as well that I add into my classes that you can use throughout your entire life to ground Mm -hmm. yourself to work you can listen to these meditations with your baby once you're on the outside as well which is amazing I think it is more than just a class for that's going to be useful for pregnancy and birth you're going to utilize all your skills for the rest of your life which is worth it yeah. So tell everybody where they can find you, Mel. You can find me on my Instagram, um, Little Bird Flies Hypnobirthing. I have gone deep down the rabbit hole of reels lately and they're really fun. <laughs> so you can watch me being a dork on my Instagram, but also informing you of all the good things. <laughs> I also have a website littlebirdflieshypnobirthing.com. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. I hope that people have had an opportunity to listen, to take it in, and to maybe make some decisions that they didn't realise were available to them prior to listening. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a great chatting. Pleasure.